Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Despite incredible advances in cancer care, the skyrocketing cost of oncology medications is impossible to ignore. Cancer is the second most expensive disease in the US with an estimated cost of $157 billion in 2020 alone. And when 5% of the US population are cancer survivors, this often results in difficult conversations between provider and patient. Dr. Allison Goldbach, an oncology pharmacist at Mayo Clinic, discusses the concept of financial toxicity, its impact on clinical outcomes, and proposed methods to address this issue with your patients. The American Cancer Society estimates that there will be 1.8 million new cancer diagnoses in the year of 2020. These patients will not only have to face the uncertainty, anxiety, and stress that comes along with a new cancer diagnosis, but will also have to determine how they can afford their various therapies. Not only are we concerned about patients who have a new cancer diagnosis, but we also have to be concerned about those survivors. 5% of the U.S. population is our cancer survivors. That's over 17 million people in our country. These patients similarly must be able to finance their medical bills as well as the costs associated with survivorship. In 2014 alone, the U.S. cancer care population paid over $4 billion out of pocket for their medical treatment. To better elucidate this fact, I'd like to share some data that was just recently published last month. This information comes to us from the CMS Medicare data as well as the National Cancer Institute SEER registry. This looks at the medical costs associated with cancer survivorship for those adult patients greater than the age of 65. As we can see, over the next several years, this will continue to climb and is estimated to increase by over 30% by the year of 2030. Now today we'll be talking about financial toxicity and a number of aspects associated with it. But I'd first like to start by polling the audience to get a general understanding of what we know about financial toxicity. So if you could, please take out your phones and go to that Poll Everywhere app, or you can respond online at pollev.com slash mayorx and send in your answers that way. All right, so we can go ahead and take a look at some of the answers here. It is showing up rather small on the screen, so I'll read them out. Um, a number of people here have looked at things such as bankruptcy being associated with it, and we will talk about that here today. Again, some other things may be patients unable to afford their treatment, which is definitely something that is concerning, and we will talk about it as well. And then one that's uh, kind of through here throughout is overpriced medications or high out-of-pocket expenses for those patients with different medications. All of these things are very important, and I'm glad to see that a number of people have already heard of financial toxicity before, but I'm sure we can all learn something a little bit more about financial toxicity through today's presentation. So today we have a number of learning objectives that we will be reviewing. The first is looking at the definition, background, and some kind of measurements of financial toxicity. We'll then move into looking at some of the impacts financial toxicity is associated with different patient outcomes. And then finally, look at some recommended methods to help patients make informed decisions about their oncology care. Now to get started, it's important that we are all on the same page in terms of the definition of what financial toxicity is. For reference, financial toxicity was originally described in 2013. So it's a fairly new concept, but is gaining traction in the field of oncology as well as other areas of medicine. The NCI describes or defines financial toxicity as a term used to describe problems a patient has 
related to the cost of medical care that may lead to debt, distress, and bankruptcy. Now, in the past, the leading cause of high medical care has been hospitalizations. However, in the recent past, and what we see moving into the future, is the main driving factor are actually the various treatments, specifically chemotherapy and various biologic agents. As at this time, it's not uncommon for patients to have a single medication cost over $10,000 per month, and we have to keep in mind that many patients may be on multimodal or multiple regimens, multiple agents in their regimen. Additional areas that may contribute to high financial costs may be appointments, other aspects of treatment such as surgery or radiation, thinking about things such as supportive care, and then end-of-life cares have also been noted to be quite expensive. There have been a number of studies that have been completed to get a better idea of various aspects of financial toxicity and how these are, how these are affecting our cancer patients. The first one being high out-of-pocket costs. Of note, this particular study defined high out-of-pocket costs as patients spending greater than 20% of their annual income on financial-related bills. This was noted significant between cancer survivors reporting 28% of them having high out-of-pocket costs versus 16% of those who did not have any cancer history. We also have to think about our patients who are employed and potentially having productivity loss as a result of either the cancer itself or the various treatments. It was noted that over 22 more missed days were occurred for patients with cancer than those without, and there was a 9% decrease in employment within the first three years after diagnosis, and this was not shown to resolve in the following fourth or fifth year post-diagnosis. Patients may also have to dip into their pockets and have asset depletion or gain on medical debt. Up to 80% of cancer survivors use some form of their savings to finance their care. And additionally, up to 34% of patients borrowed money or have some sort of debt related to their medical expenses and their cancer treatment. And finally, the thing that we may talk with our patients about most is financial distress or the worry they have about being able to pay their medical bills. It's been noted that up to 64% of cancer survivors report some aspect of stress related to paying their bills. Now, as you can see on this slide, a few of these do have very wide ranges in terms of percentages in which they may affect our cancer patients. This is primarily a reflection of the types of studies that we currently have in financial toxicity, as they're very heterogeneous between different studies on the different aspects that they look at, as well as the patient populations that they're studying. It may be limited to a single institution or single geographic location, or maybe just a certain subset of cancer patients. Additionally, we know that this is affecting our cancer patients, but what puts patients maybe at greater risk, and what is the interplay between various aspects of their treatment and causing financial toxicity? The first thing is we must take into consideration on the left-hand side of your screen are some of the risk factors that are associated with our patient prior to diagnosis. We have to take into consideration that maybe they have other medical comorbidities or maybe not the best health to start off with. They may already be suffering some from, from some high medical costs and that needs to be taken into account. Additionally, understanding the patient's baseline financial status, such as looking at their assets and savings, as well as any debts they may have already incurred, is important and has been shown to be a risk factor with being increasingly at risk for financial toxicity. Looking at a patient's income and employment, again, is also quite important, as this may change throughout the course of their therapy, and oftentimes patients' employment may also have a correlation with what kind of medical insurance they have and coverage for their treatments. And finally, age and race have also been shown to be risk factors for patients, specifically those patients who are younger of age, primarily thinking that they may not have as many assets or savings built up at that point in time, and then race as well, as it's been clearly defined that patients of uh, minority races are at greater risk for financial toxicity. So we have our patient with their baseline characteristics and risk factors, and from here they get diagnosed with a complex medical illness, in this case, cancer. 
From here, there is a decision on what is going to be the best treatment for our patient, which is defined by their illness itself as well as any pre-comorbid conditions that they already have. Medical insurance may also play a, play a role in this, depending on what's covered for an individual patient. Patients from here may then sustain various medical costs and non-medical costs, such as decreased productivity at work or loss of employment. From here, patients may experience things such as financial strain or distress, and in severe cases, formal bankruptcy may have to be filed. Of note, patients with cancer history or cancer diagnosis are 2.7 times more likely to file for bankruptcy than their counterparts who do not have a cancer history. Now putting all of these things together, including their treatment choice, baseline disease, and any type of financial strain or distress can all have an impact potentially on health outcomes. Because of this new concept and understanding that this is difficult for various patients, there's been some efforts to try to quantify and measure financial toxicity. One of these examples is the Comprehensive Score for Financial Toxicity, or the COST score. This is a patient-reported outcome measure and therefore is subjective. It's an 11-item questionnaire with questions such as, I am satisfied with my current work situation, I am able to meet my monthly expenses, and feel financially stressed. Patients are able to score this on a Liker scale, and of note, lower cost values indicate a higher sense of financial toxicity. This tool has been validated in the United States. However, at this point in time, has not been widely used in various studies that we have to date. But again, noting that financial toxicity is a relatively new concept from 2013, and this was published in 2017 with this cost score. So we now have a little bit more understanding of what financial toxicity is in terms of background. So we'll move into another question. Financial toxicity, A, is only measured using a cost score. B, has shown less impact in cancer patients. C, has many risk factors, and D, causes worse patient outcomes. Again, if you could answer on your phones using the Poll Everywhere app or online at pollev.com slash mayorx. All right, so we still may have a few answers that are rolling in, but we can go ahead and go through this question. So I would agree with the majority here that C is the most correct answer, that financial toxicity does have many risk factors, some of which we've already discussed, such as age, race, and employment status. A is an incorrect answer. It is a measure of... Uh, financial toxicity, but is not the only score that's been used to measure financial toxicity, was just an example for us today. We don't know that it has shown less impact in cancer patients other than other, than other classes of patients. However, the data does show that there may be a large impact in these patients, and therefore this is an incorrect answer. And finally, D, I'm glad that some of you guys chose this because it was a little bit of a trick here. At this point in time, we don't have any studies that show a causal relationship between financial toxicity and poor patient outcomes, but rather different studies that show some association between them. And this will be the next area that we'll be talking through in this presentation. So at this point in time, there's been many studies that have been done looking at various potential impacts of financial toxicity. Some of these have been increased symptom burden, both physical and psychological, as well as impacts on survival, potentially decreasing patients' quality of life. Patients may have a decreased access to treatment or poor adherence because they're unable to afford their treatments or skip out because of fear of the high cost. Additionally, patients may suffer from poor care satisfaction or perceived quality of care due to the financial stress that they're enduring, and then may also have financial debt or bankruptcy and can also impact their caregivers as well. We'll be focusing today on the top three of these and again, just looking at a sample of much of the literature that is currently out there. The first study I would like to share with everybody is this Chan and colleagues article that was published back in 2019. The objective of this study was to explore the relationship between financial toxicity and symptom burden. This was a systematic review looking at three major databases and included studies that were published between January of 2000 and January of 2018. The outcomes of interest were 
effects on physical, psychological, spiritual, and overall symptom burden. Of this study, there were over 5,700 records that were screened for inclusion, with a total of 24 full articles that were fully reviewed by a panel. Nine of these articles were included in the qualitative synthesis for this systematic review, and of note, this included over 11,500 cancer survivors. Now, of the nine articles, six were completed in the United States, and others were done in Australia, France, and Ireland. Each of them used a qualitative observational analysis, and of the nine, eight examined that relationship between financial toxicity and psychological symptoms, and three looked at that relationship with physical symptoms. Now, the next slide I'm going to show you is a little bit busy, but let me tell you there's definitely a reason for it. This slide right here really demonstrates the different heterogeneity and many of the financial toxicity slides that we and many of the financial toxicity studies we have to date. As you can see, each of these studies looked at various aspects of financial toxicity and may have been reported differently as well. It was very challenging for the authors of the systematic review to come to solid conclusions because of the wide variety of different studies and methodology that were used. Now to kind of walk through this a little bit together, we'll first look at the first column here for those, re those studies reporting on physical symptoms. The first study here for, by Delgado in 2015 did not show a correlation between financial toxicity and physical symptoms. And the Barber study, while they measured it, um, did not report on the effect of physical symptoms along with financial toxicity. And then finally, the Lanthan article in 2016 did show a positive weak correlation with increased physical symptoms associated with a higher financial toxicity. Moving over to the next section of our chart here, we look a little bit more at psychological and what we're calling spiritual um, aspects of financial toxicity. As you can see, the majority of these studies did show at least a moderate or weak correlation with financial toxicity and some of these psychological struggles. The majority of these studies look specifically at those indicators of depression, anxiety, and distress. However, each of these articles use different measures to determine what level of uh, financial toxicity and what level of these psychological symptoms were used. One that I think is quite interesting is actually the first line here, the Sharp et al. study that was completed in 2013. This study specifically found that patients who were increasingly or decreasingly worried about their financial state after their cancer diagnosis were at greater risk for developing or suffering from depression, anxiety, and distress. And this was different from the other studies that were reported. Overall, we had four studies that looked at overall psychological distress, and all four of these did show at least a weak positive correlation between financial toxicity and these psychological symptoms. And finally, we had two studies that looked at overall symptom burden, again, both showing a positive correlation between financial toxicity and overall symptom burden. So what can we take away from this uh, systematic review? Of the eight studies that evaluated psychological symptoms, six of them reported a positive correlation with financial toxicity. So it's fairly safe to say that there is at least some kind of a correlation between psychological symptoms and financial toxicity. On the other end of the spectrum, of the three studies that evaluated physical symptoms, only two of them reported results, and the two that did report were inconsistent. So at this point in time, it's rather difficult to have a solid conclusion as to whether or not financial toxicity does have an effect on physical symptoms. Like I said, this article was rather difficult in terms of the limited evaluation they can have due to the significant heterogeneity between studies. But again, this is just really representative of the studies that we have to date in financial toxicity. Some future research is definitely needed to be done in order to further elucidate some of these relationships between symptom burden and financial toxicity. 
Considerations may be doing longitudinal data collection or looking at patients throughout the course of their treatment and seeing how financial toxicity may affect them. Also utilizing mixed method approaches, so subjective and objective measures for measuring each of the outcomes, as well as using a more homogenous sample population and seeing how it may affect certain groups with cancer. We'll next move into the Ramsey and colleague article, looking specifically at the relationship between severe financial distress, in this case bankruptcy, with overall health outcomes for patients. This group had patients that were greater than or equal to 21 years of age with all cancers except those who were diagnosed with non-melanoma skin cancer who were diagnosed between 1995 and 2009. This group utilized the Western Washington Sear Cancer Registry along with federal bankruptcy records to find their population. The outcomes of interest were specifically looking at the cumulative risk for filing for bankruptcy after diagnosis, and then also interested in looking at the mortality risk for patients filed for bankruptcy versus those patients who did not file for bankruptcy. The overall population included over 230,000 patients diagnosed with cancer in this area during this period of time. Of these patients, a little over 4,700 filed for bankruptcy during this period of time. It was determined that those patients who did file for bankruptcy were more likely to be younger, which we noted to be a risk factor for patients, female, non-white, or a minority population, again, a risk factor we've delineated, delineated already, those patients who have local or regional stage of disease at diagnosis, and then those patients who received treatment, which makes sense as those patients would have to pay for those therapies. In order to get a better understanding of how financial toxicity in terms of bankruptcy that these patients uh, dealt with, how that affected their overall outcomes, we did a pro they did a propensity scored population analysis, which included a little over 3,800 patients in each group. The average patient in these groups was a 53-year-old male who was white, married, and lived in an urban setting. And the most common stage was uh, local, followed by regional, and then distant disease. I have a couple tables here to show you exactly what this kind of looks like and what their overall conclusions were. This graph on the left shows rates of bankruptcy uh, during years of di after diagnosis. And as we can see, for all of the different types of cancers that are delineated along the right-hand side of the slide, this continues to increase the further out from diagnosis. And on the right-hand side, this shows survival over time. And as we can see, this continues to increase. So the association was made that following um, diagnosis, there was a greater risk for bankruptcy and increased risk for early mortality. So conclusions that we can draw from this study. There does show to be a consistent positive association between filing for bankruptcy or that severe financial distress and earlier mortality after a cancer diagnosis. Again, we do need to have some additional studies to further determine some of these causal factors, as this was looking at a database along with federal finance records to kind of delineate this association. Things we may want to look at would be looking at those patients for maybe the reasons for early mortality. Was it that these patients who filed for bankruptcy were, more, were less likely to complete or access follow-up treatment because they couldn't afford it? Were advanced, patients, advanced stage patients filing for bankruptcy in order to protect their families? Maybe looking more at maybe the primary motivators between filing bankruptcy, and then also understanding the relationship between financial and insurance status, as well as employment status, and looking at that for those patients who did file for bankruptcy. The final study that we'll review today is Finn and colleagues that was published in 2014. The objective of this study was to determine the association between financial problems that were caused by cancer and patient-reported quality of life. Data was used from the 2010 National Health Interview Survey, and these were analyzed. A multivariate regression model was used for analysis. The outcome of interest was looking at the relationship between financial problems and quality of life. So overall, the 2010 administration of the NHIS had a 60.8% adult response rate. 
Now of these patients, 2,151 were adult cancer survivors and they were surveyed. If a, if a patient answered during the survey that they had ever been told they had a diagnosis of cancer, then they were asked the following question as to what amount of financial toxicity or financial strain they had in association with their cancer diagnosis. And of the patients who were asked this, 98% of them answered the financial hardship question. And here is a breakdown of the answers that patients had for this financial hardship question. Now, somebody may first look at this and say, this is great. The majority of these patients are claiming that they have no um, financial hardship at all in relationship to their cancer diagnosis. However, I think it's important, while the majority do say they don't have any financial um, stress at all, that there could be some recall biases. This is just for patients who had ever had a cancer diagnosis. It may have been way earlier on in life, and they may have um, resolved from that issue. It's also important, though, that although about 70% of patients said they don't have any financial hardship, that there's still 30% of our patient population, or about a third, who is claiming that they have at least some form of financial hardship, with nearly 10% of them claiming that they have a lot of financial hardship. To further break this down and looking a little bit more at the results of this study, for patients that reported a lot of financial burden, these patients were, again, more likely to be female, less than 61 years of age, so that younger population, non-white non or that minority population that we've already discussed. Those patients who had less than a four-year college education and had a total combined income less than $35,000 per year. The most common cancer types for those patients who reported a lot of financial burden were most likely to be thyroid, ovarian, and lung cancer. Now there was a bivariate analysis that was done on the data that was collected to further examine the association between the degree of financial related problems and the quality of life measures that the patients reported. It was found that patients who reported a lot of cancer-related financial problems were more likely to report a poor quality of life, which was statistically significant, along with having the belief that their chances of cancer were returning to be high, and also reported a higher frequency of worry about their cancer returning as well. So definitely some of those psychological problems that we talked about in that earlier study. Additionally, a multivariate analysis was completed as well to see if other factors were also impacting quality of life. Self-reported quality of life was inversely correlated with the degree that cancer caused financial problems in this group. Patients who reported a lot of financial problems were four times less likely to report quality of life as good or better, and this was statistically significant. Other independent risk factors that were found to affect quality of life were age, education, insurance status, and then to combined total family income. So what are our conclusions that we can find from this data? Overall, we can tell that financial burden is common among cancer patients, with 30% of this group that was surveyed to have at least some aspect of financial burden associated with their cancer diagnosis. It was also noted that a greater financial burden is associated with decreased quality of life, and the degree of which cancer-related financial problems had on a patient was the strongest independent risk factor and predictor of quality of life in cancer survivors. Which will move us on into our next question here. Financial toxicity in cancer is not, not associated with which of the following outcomes? A, early mortality, B, decreased quality of life, C, increased adherence to therapy, and D, bankruptcy. All right, so there may still be some answers that are rolling through due to the Pull Everywhere delay, but we'll go ahead and move through this question. I would agree with the majority here that increased adherence to therapy is not associated with financial toxicity. We've actually found the opposite, and although I did not present a um, article on this today, there have been some studies done that have shown actually decreased adherence to therapy for those patients who are suffering from financial toxicity. Early mortality, decreased quality of life, and bankruptcy are all reflected in the three studies that we previously reviewed. 
So now that we know that patients are clearly suffering from financial toxicity, and this may harm their outcomes or is at least associated with worse outcomes, we can move on to see what we should be doing about this. At this point in time, there have not been any prospective studies that have actually looked at any of these recommendations. Again, because this is a newer concept, but those are definitely studies that will need to be done in the future so that we can best help and care for our patients. The first recommendation is utilizing universal screening and having this integrated into the um, normal process of care for a patient. Universal screening has a number of different ways this could be implemented. It could be anything from a simple question on an intake evaluation to patients maybe filling out something a little bit more comprehensive such as the cost score to get a better idea at who is at risk or who is already worried about their finances. This could be done at a number of different times during a patient's treatment and therapy plan as well as throughout their survivorship as well. It would be important to have a universal screen done at the initial consultation with a patient and when therapy is being chosen for a patient to understand what kind of risk factors they have so they can be more closely monitored throughout their therapy as well as afterwards. It's also important though that throughout the duration of therapy, even if patients may not be uh, seem to be high risk at the beginning, still get screened throughout as patients' employment status can change throughout their uh, treatment as they may not be able to work or have loss of productivity or other things can always happen to patients as well. And then it's also important to continue the screening and talking to our patients throughout their survivorship as we see that many of these patients may also suffer during their survivorship with dealing with all those high medical bills and sequelae thereafter. In coordination with using universal screening and seeing those patients who are at risk or are already developing financial toxicity, it's important to triage these patients early on and connect them with different available financial resources. This could be anything from copay assistance, especially for those outpatient oral chemotherapy prescriptions, to getting them on payment plans or potentially external funding or grants to help pay for their care. Another large one that's been uh, discussed in the literature is implementing financial counseling, again, as a portion of the healthcare team, which is very important. Financial counselors can do a number of different things, but at the baseline level, they can talk with their patients, uh, starting off on therapies, to get a better understanding of what their insurance covers, whether or not they need to change aspects of their insurance to better get them covered for their needs. May also be able to talk with them about estimated out-of-pocket expenses, as well as being able to just understand how to read a medical bill and what everything means. In a more comprehensive service, it would be possible for financial counselors to better educate patients on different financial strategies and assess patients' health literacy and financial literacy overall. And the final area that's kind of could be a PGR all in of itself is the idea of values-based care. Now, this is something that's not going to be able to be changed overnight. However, it is kind of the direction that oncology practice is going, and so I'd like to review it at least briefly here. At its core, values-based care is a healthcare delivery model under which the providers are paid based on health outcomes of their patients and the quality of services rendered. CMS defines these goals as helping with better individual care, better health for overall populations, as well as being able to lower the cost. This is the idea of integrating cost effectiveness of our different therapies along with that evidence-based medicine that we already practice today. Now, in order to do this, there's been a number of frameworks. There's five main ones right now, but due to time constraints, we'll just be reviewing the ASCO value framework and just to get an idea of what's available. This framework is ideally used for patients and physicians to talk together when deciding on what therapy is going to be best for an individual patient. It really relies on high clinical evidence of the different therapies and those things found in clinical trials. It takes into account various aspects, such as a clinical benefit, toxicities that a patient may have, as that can potentially be something that patients are very concerned about when choosing a therapy, 
The overall net health benefit, so how much longer will this therapy give them? What kind of quality of life will this give them? And then finally, we're talking about financial toxicity, so cost is clearly going to play a role as well. Pulling all of these variables together, we'll come up with an overall summary assessment that, can, that the patient and provider can sit down and kind of have that joint discussion on what's going to be important for that patient individually and what's going to be the best thing for their individual care. In an ideal world, ASCO is planning to put this into a software analysis so that, various that the different variables can have different weights depending on the individual patient and what is valuable to them. Um, but this is still being a, kind of a work in progress at this point in time. So we've talked about a number of different interventions or recommendations that have been made for a patient who's dealing with this difficult decision on what kind of treatment is going to happen for them. So I'd like everybody to take a moment here and reflect um, on themselves or if either you or your loved one were in a similar situation. What kind of intervention would you want as a patient who is making this decision regarding their health care? You could take a moment and then respond on Poll Everywhere app or online at pollev.com slash mayorx. All right, so people may still be sending in their responses, so please keep, do, uh, keep doing that, but we'll go ahead and look at a couple of these on the screen. I think it's great a number of, pa number of people listening in are interested in things such as financial co counseling and learning more about maybe what their um, insurance covers overall. I think another great thing is kind of looking at that ASCO value framework and looking at um, the cost versus projected quality of life. So really what's the benefit for the patient's dollar um, for the therapies that they may have. Another great one on here, I think, is kind of helping not to surprise the patient in terms of what things might cost and really understanding um, about uh, how much their cost may be prior to either a procedure or getting a given therapy. I think it's important to note that the majority of patients who have been surveyed in other studies have actually shown that they are open to having these conversations with providers and would actually prefer to have these conversations with providers. However, other studies have shown that less than 30% of patients and providers have these discussions prior to starting a new treatment. So I think that's something that's very important to keep in your, the back of your mind when working with patients who have a new cancer diagnosis or even throughout their therapy. So thank you guys all for your great answers here. So we've talked a lot about things about Financial Toxicity Day, learning a little bit more about the background, how it impacts our patients, but what can we take away from this today? Obviously, we can't change the entire healthcare system to move to values-based care overnight, but there's some things that we can start doing even today. The first thing is potentially utilizing and sharing your own personal decision-making process with your patients. When a patient has a new cancer diagnosis, there's so much uncertainty. Maybe patients are overwhelmed with the amount of information they're getting or people that they're working with and really just want somebody to sit down with them and talk through their options and how to make the decision to choose the best treatment that's best for their ideas and uh, personal goals of care. Additionally, in the same way that we're stewards of antibiotics, it's important that we become stewards of our patient healthcare dollars as well. As I would say, probably the majority of our patients don't have unlimited resources to continue to pay for medical care. And finally, if you take away anything from this presentation, it's the importance of communication with your patients and so that they have a better understanding of what their treatments are going to cost so that things don't come up and surprise them so they can better plan for those expenses and understand the cost of their therapies. So in summary for today, financial toxicity is a term used to describe problems a patient has related to the cost of their medical care. It can impact a wide range of various patient outcomes, and it's important that as providers and healthcare professionals that we help patients to make informed decisions by talking with them about the cost of their various cancer treatments. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. 
Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.